I decided I needed to get out of the big city for a while to search for cinema spoilers in the wild. So I hopped in my old Camino and I took off for the open road. It wasn't long before I took a left turn into the surreal. A fly landed on my arm and I got the shivers. The sounds of a typewriter filled my ears. And I was so tired I felt like I was in a dead zone. That's when my eyes caught the sight of a sign that said, Welcome to Cronenberg. Behind that sign was a place that was a dead ringer for home. As I pulled in the parking lot, I realized no matter where I go, I can always find the spoiler room. And welcome, my friends. Yes, we took a trip once again to Cronenberg and visited uh, the branch of the spoiler room there in Cronenberg. And we're in our visit today. We uh, are getting surgical with it. And uh, once again, we have doctors involved. And we're looking at 1988 Dead Ringers. And I have a great crew with me who have traveled along to take a look at this very interesting film from Mr. David Cronenberg. First off, she's back in the room. It is the lovely and talented Dawn. Hello, Dawn. How are you? I am fantastic. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Andrew. Fantastic. Glad to have you here. And yes, he is in the room as well. Another talented individual, the lovely Mr. Andrew Shearer. Hello, Andrew. How are you, sir? Uh, this is actually Andrew's twin brother, Andrea. Uh, Andrew <laughs> couldn't make it tonight. You sound so, so much alike. Well, I part my hair a little bit differently, and you know. Oh, do you? If, if you, you could see that, you would know. But do uh, you wear sweaters instead of suits? Uh, um. Well, yes, but we neither of us wear pants, and so <laughs> that's a thing too. God damn it! Almost, almost spit taked that one. <laughs> yeah. If you, we're, you know, yeah, we're identical cousins. Identical cousins. Once yeah. removed. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you could you could lose your mind. Yeah, cause... you could. <laughs> oh yes, nineteen eighty eight Dead Ringers, uh, David Cronenberg. Don, would you like to give the synopsis of Dead Ringers? I knew you were gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't right. resist because of the comments you were sending me. I'm like, oh, I want to I hear Don's synopsis of this film. So go for it. Well, I mean, the film is about twin brothers who um, are both incredibly socially awkward and become codependent upon each other. And when... Uh, to the point that they share everything, uh, a par- uh, an apartment, uh, a business, lovers. So when one of the brothers actually falls in love with a real live woman, um, it disrupts their little dynamic and just like any codependent relationship that suddenly disrupted all sorts of hell breaks loose <laughs> and then everybody dies <laughs> <laughs> well well put well put uh we'll start with andrew andrew you remember when you first saw dead ringers 
Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I was. Um, this was around the time when I was first watching horror movies, and Cronenberg was an important name mm-hmm. in our house because my dad was a huge fan of The Fly, mm-hmm. uh, which I think at that time I still hadn't gotten up the wherewithal to to watch. I was still a little afraid of how gory and gross it was going to be. Um, but the word of Dead Ringers was that it was a little bit toned down in in terms of uh, gore compared to that in some of his older ones. So, yeah, I um, I rented it as as soon as it came out. This was not my first theatrical Cronenberg. Uh, that would be the one after it, Naked Lunch. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, man, I, I, I loved it. You know, I didn't understand it the way that I do now, and I certainly didn't quite appreciate it the way I do now. But um, I had... It was crazy to see like a movie about, you know, when one actor plays twins and it like wasn't a comedy. I don't think I'd like ever seen that before. And so, yeah, a little mind blowing. Um, and, you know, I didn't really quite know what gynecology was all about. And so this was also my introductory ish to that as well. But uh, yeah, I, I remember enjoying it. I remember it being like, you know, I was Jack up was maybe 12, I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So it was like around the age to where I could actually sit through a movie like that, if not appreciate it, at least like, you know, see it from beginning to end and realize this was good. Cool, cool. And uh, Don, when was the first time you watched Dead Ringers? Um, <clears throat> Saturday, actually. And? and it, that, <laughs> that was a hard watch. I watched it Saturday mm-hmm. and then I watched it again. Did I watch it Saturday or did I watch it Friday night? It doesn't matter. So I watched it. I just watched it a couple days ago and then I watched it again today. And it was a hard watch. Mm-hmm. It, it was really hard. Um, Is it hard because it was bad or was it because of the subject matter? It, because of the subject matter. Mm-hmm. It, it hit it hit me really hard on multiple levels. Sure. Um, and it... And it I think it hit me harder, and I think that it it impacted me more because of the experiences that I've had uh, in my life. And I don't think I believe that had I watched it younger, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have impacted me quite so strong. Some movies are like that, you know. Mm-hmm. You can watch it and experience thing, but you you still have that initial reaction from when you first see a movie. Right. And you can see more and more every time you watch it, and that's an awesome movie when you can do that. But this movie, I think, my initial re- had I seen it much earlier, I, I think I would have had a different perspective on it. Mm-hmm. This one was just hard because going into it, I was able to immediately recognize mm-hmm. a, a lot of the destructive behavioral sequences that were happening as they were happening I didn't have to wait until they were in your face. Right. I, I, I And I recognized all of the... Yeah. <laughs> but, but... So does that make it possibly a, a, a well-made film because of the accurate portrayal? Or... I, I'm just getting your perspective. You don't have to answer at all, but I was just was wondering, do you, would you categorize the film then as as a good film because it portrayed that or would you move it towards a eh, because oh no it was definitely a really good film right and and jeremy irons was spectacular um i kind of looked at uh what the initial um reactions of the reviewers were Mm -hmm. and i just kind of snickered because um 
like Siskel and Ebert did not give it a very high rating, but Mm -hmm. they gave Jeremy Irons' performance a very high rating. (laughs) Oh no, the whole thing is really just that good. (laughs) It it just is. And I will say I was kind of in the same uh, category with Andrew. I was only 13 when I saw it. I knew the name. I loved The Fly. Uh, you know, I, horror junkie. Uh, I'd already watched a, as many people, if you've listened to the show, know watched many a show, a movie that I shouldn't have at an inappropriate age. So, uh, you know, this I was like, okay, watch this. And in all honesty, I didn't get it um, when I watched it. I was a little disappointed because I was expecting something a little bit more along of, you know, fly or maybe even. You know, though I did enjoy a, a Jacob's Ladder, but still, I was kind of looking for something a little bit more faster moving. But I was 13 at the time, and and you know that was just the type of films I was gravitating to. I, I hate to be a, you know, be the cliche, but it was true. You know, so I didn't quite get it because this film moves at a decent pace, but it is not an action film by any means. It is more drama. I mean, they categorize it as horror thriller, and this goes back to what we've talked all talked about before, is, uh, you know, is this really a horror? Is this just drama with horror elements in it? Um, you know, Don, what would you say with this? Because, I mean, it, a lot of people throw it in horror because it's David Cronenberg, but I'm oh, not I don't sure. think it's horror. No. I, I don't think it's horror. I think it's a drama with horror elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get into it a little bit, but yeah, I, that's watching it again. That's the way I felt too. What about you, Andrew? You think it gets pigeonholed into horror just because of David? Well, I mean, it deals with the body, and yeah. he's like synonymous with body horror. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely some horrific <laughs> things oh, yeah. in there. Some of which you don't even need to see much to be completely horrified by. Yes. And so, uh, you know, in that regard, but when we're talking genre, uh, no, um, mm-hmm. this would fall into more of like the psychological kind of psychodrama kind of thing. Um, you know, I, right. I'm in complete agreement. Yeah. But I, I think that was his, that was his goal too. He would, you know, he didn't want to be known as, you know, the gore guy or whatever. So he mm-hmm. was going to, he probably had his pick of things to do after the success of the fly. So, to choose this, I mean, he deliberately went away from that kind of horror, I think. Why, and watching these chronologically, um, and I agree, this is this is more drama with, with horror elements. It, it, it does finish with kind of that horror, but I've always seen this in the like horror section, and I'm like, I, I'm not sure you want to put it there, but um, for me... Watching this and now doing these Welcome to Cronenberg episodes, which thank you, Andrew, for for kind of uh, talking to me uh, about still putting him in in chronological because this felt a lot more like his more original work because we've had, you know, the Dead Zone and all these more commercial items. Fly was him more getting back. But this one, Andrew, this one had kind of more of the tone of crimes of the century didn't it yeah yeah it did uh, a lot in common i feel also a little bit more with uh rabid mm-hmm. shivers uh the brood for sure uh, a couple of the scenes or a couple of the shots rather i'm like yep there you go <laughs> 
Um, I, I think honestly, it's the name Dead Ringers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think was his d- the original choice to have it called that, and I think the perception of the movie and even people putting it in the horror section might not have, you know, like De Palma's sister's a good example, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a great double bill, I think, with this. Um, you, that one isn't necessarily always put in the horror category either. I've seen it in drama and, and places before. Mm-hmm. And, and Don, would you say out, out of all the Cronenberg, though, this one kind of really feels like him back to his roots again? I mean, the other ones, we kind of saw him moving back to it with his a little bit more commercial products, but then we get this one, and this really feels more like his earlier work. Would you say that as well, that it has that tone, or, or would you say... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just because he has body horror where uh, the two twins in a dream are connected. and the one... I, I This definitely goes back to a lot of those, I mean, older themes, but it's a more... Mm-hmm. I... A more developed uh, version of mm-hmm. that, definitely. It, it's it's not relying on as much of the body horror. It has definitely has the body horror, mm-hmm. but it's definitely ramping the psychological up a lot. But in the same veins, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, the 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 title "Dead Ringers." Um, well, the book itself, or uh, it was based on a book called Twins, and I don't recall offhand who the authors of that mm-hmm. uh, uh, book was but it was also based on real life uh, twin gynecologists who died under sort of mysterious circumstances oh was it really mm-hmm. it was based off of live uh, actual huh uh, mm-hmm. I had kind of heard rumblings about that but I wasn't sure oh, okay so well that that adds yeah, so just, the, yeah. Um, I, I love that Andrew, although he probably already knows this, that Andrew um, actually talked about Arnold Schwarzenegger's twins in relation to this movie. I did. That was not an accident. <laughs> I didn't think it was. No, You're so clever. He, no, no, because Reitman, uh, you know, he was one of the original Cronenberg uh, champions. I think mm-hmm. actually, if we go back far enough, he may have been involved as a producer in some capacity. Yeah, he um, was. Yeah, I think so. Um, so Reitman's movie was Twins, and mm-hmm. uh, he he got the name. Was you know he's he wanted to use the name, so Cronenberg's like, all right, Reitman, fellow got to make fellow Canadian a solid. <laughs> well, it's interesting the way this film opens up too is. Um... You know you're in for a little bit of a different film because we open with Toronto 1954, so we're getting a little self-referential here, and the twin boys are having a discussion, and we're introduced to our Mantle brothers, which I love the name, Mantle, Um, (laughs) because, you know, put it on your mantle. Anyway, um, and, and and they have this very interesting conversation and don what'd you think about the opening of this film how we're introduced to the twins being so very young and rather frank in their discussion about things they probably shouldn't be talking about at that age. well they were talking about fish spawning and that's a perfectly reasonable discussion to be having fish, at that age fish spawning yeah well until they applied it to humans uh, yeah that that got a little weird <laughs> and and then 
and then proposition very again socially awkward uh propositioned the a little girl to have sex in a bathtub who has the best reaction to it? oh yeah <laughs> she was great uh but imagine 88 this had to be a little bit of shocking opening for some folks um, especially because Dead Ringers did get open, you know, to a wide release. Uh, so I'm trying to picture how audiences took kids doing this uh, and having this type of discussion. Uh, Andrew, what would you think about this opening with uh, the twins in, in 54 and the conversations they have? Um, it, well, first of all, the girl's reaction was like something out of John Waters. It was mm-hmm. pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, um, it's, to me, it, it, it's, it talks, you know, it says something about what they think of women also, mm-hmm. you know, mm. and, and, and that of course will t- tells you everything, um, about what you will then see for the rest of the movie. Um, not just yep. their, their view of, um, you know, human beings and all of that and of the body, but specifically about women. It's got, I feel everything to do with everything their their entire behavior and their relationship and then with the bodies of women in their practice and they're just absolutely everything. So uh, as far as beginnings go, it was, I think, more brilliant than than uh, people watching it may have realized or may even still realize because it, it's so brief and, you know, the whole movie passes over. But you definitely, if you watched it twice, as soon as you see it, you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, yep. you already see the kids at a young age the way they were and it was already ingrained in them <laughs> you know um though they didn't did we well okay maybe we had a little bit of mommy issues going on but doctor definitely we've got our cronenberg not liking doctors well, <laughs> there's definitely mommy tones in there mm-hmm. and there's definitely and and yes definitely in that beginning you can see the little sociopaths they will become mm-hmm. Um, but yes, there is most definitely mommy issues all the way throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I there are the two interests because we follow the main interest at Beverly, the one who out of the two is, if there was a potential, even more socially awkward uh-huh. <laughs> of the two. Uh, he's the one that falls hard for... Uh, the actress who comes visiting them because she has a uh, a, a rare condition, um, Claire's condition of three uh, uteruses and three cervixes, and she she's got three of of, of her uh, <laughs> internal functions. There's three of them, and they're just fascinated by it, which makes you wonder if you know. Well, not wonder, but that's really his initial attraction to her isn't it kind of is the fact that she is completely different Dawn? yes but one thing i want to mention just before we move on yeah that so. i noticed and i actually went back to mm-hmm. verify was i thought it was interesting both in that very first sequence mm-hmm. and then in the second sequence when they're at school oh yes yeah their thing. names were not used at all until the very end of that second sequence they were pretty much they were called the Fabulous Twins. Not even their last name was used except to refer to the mantle retractor. Mm-hmm. They were pretty much just seen as one unit for both of those op- for opening scenes. 
And it's hinted at later on the imagery of Siamese twins uh-huh. and how they are, well, it goes along with the codependency, which again, watching this at 13, I did not get any. Of course, I didn't pick up any of that at all. But now looking at how all of it relates, it's like, holy crap, the mind starts going where they're talking about yep. Siamese twins. Twins are connected. These two are connected at the hip, basically. Um, and they might as well be Siamese twins. Yep, and and that that whole first two sequences shows that they were only ever seen as one person. As seen as one person, which made me wonder just for a little bit, were they going with a Fight Club angle? <laughs> you know, uh, but they they are seen as one person, and even throughout this film, it's Andrew, uh, you being the film director, Cronenberg's doing it on purpose throughout this film and maybe i'm just off and have no idea what i'm talking about but it seems like as this film goes on he makes it harder and harder for the audience to distinguish which one's actually which is Uh, is that through the editing and direction or am i just imagining it no i mean you kind of see what you want to see i mean with irons i think the performances are just brilliant and i do begin to see them as two different people Mm -hmm. And um, th- when it starts to become uh, a little bit more ambiguous is when uh, the drug use begins right. in, uh, in Ellie's character. And then, yeah, it gets a little bit different because they are – he's trying to synchronize. So that's done. Yeah, that one's that is done on purpose. Uh-huh. But I feel like for the majority of the film there, uh, to me anyway, I did begin to take them quite clearly as two different people. And even in some of those really um, technically difficult shots – where they're both in the same thing, they were done so well, and I don't think anyone had ever done um, um, like uh, motion control cameras before yeah. in like in something like this. I, I, you know, you'd see them in sci-fi, Star Wars, that kind of stuff. But like, just having two actors, I feel like this was sort of like unprecedented shit, and uh, you know that it just, I feel like it didn't call attention to itself. They never did anything kind of hokey or stunty. Um, but yeah, I agree when, uh, by the time they start to kind of synchronize, mm-hmm. it was a little bit different, difficult. And I can remember the first time I saw it being wrong about which one of them, uh, was dead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I felt, I was like, ah, Don't. yeah. And it, it, he begins to call the, the, the name of the brother and I'm like, oh shit, I thought that was, oh, you, you know, <laughs> Don, did you did you watching it back to back? Uh, well, not back to back, but twice this week. In that, does it get a little harder later on in the film to tell which part when the drug use starts? It when the drug use starts, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to um, catch back up fairly quickly mm-hmm. by the time. Um, but only again because I was looking for it because I'd watched it so close together. Um, I was able to catch it back up fairly quickly. Um, when uh, it, the one scene where Bev had left Claire's apartment and gone back to his the apartment he shared with Ellie and, and he walked in and he looked all clean cut and clean I'm like wait a second is that is that Bev or is that Ellie I'm really confused because he's supposed to be Bev was supposed to be the full-on addict that was 
just a mess who had barely able to drag himself to Claire's apartment and now he's all clean and mm-hmm. there's Ellie in the shower. Wait a second, where am I at? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was the point of the film for me too, watching it again, where I'm like, Oh who's who? I have no yeah. idea right now. <laughs> Uh, you know, and as the film goes on, because, yeah, the drug use, which I find interesting, was because kind of of her. Ish. Ish. Kind of. Um, <laughs> for Beverly, uh, because we learned that Elliot does take occasional drugs recreationally, um, just not as heavy or hardcore as Bev and Bev took him. And Andrew, what do you think the motivation, true motivation was for Bev taking it? Was it because she was taking him and he needed him or was he taking him because he was starting to separate, find feeling himself separate from his brother and he couldn't cope. I think he just emotionally just became attached. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what happens in, relationships like that you know he went from codependency with his brother to codependency with with her uh, you know more on his side of mm-hmm. course than than hers but uh you know he was kind of childlike in that way and so of course he's going to naturally do you know whatever she's doing you know right. she she can handle it <laughs> and he can't <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, go ahead Don. Sorry. Or did you have more sander no Oh, sorry. About about uh, Claire Nouveau and uh, about Jean-Vivre Bujol, yeah, I do. But <laughs> and, it, and with this question, no, I don't. Oh no, I was going to say, um, it, it's it goes back to that that exactly that codependency. It was the only type of because Beverly was the the lab rat. He he was the the clin- the clinical aspect of that relationship not more socially awkward all the only relationship he'd ever known was that codependent relationship with his brother and and they never left each other so when he started transferring his codependence from his brother to claire claire didn't realize what was happening Mm -hmm. um she just thought it was any other relationship and beverly absolutely couldn't cope because he had already pulled himself emotionally away from la and started directing everything into Claire and had no tools at his disposal. He had never learned any tools mm-hmm. to deal with being alone or well, s- perceived alone. Right. And and also, you know, he had no one he knew to turn to except Ellie, who, let's face it, is a dick. And in some ways, and and he doesn't necessarily want the separation of those two, but... He has his own really fucked up perspective of their relationship that's a whole lot of psychosexual. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of... There's a completely different type of dependency. (laughs) Yeah. With his side, not so much, uh, it seemed, on the emotional side, but more of the sexual side. I mean, we get that scene where after Beverly thinks that Claire was cheating on him, 
because he immediately jumps to the conclusion because I, in all honesty, I've, I've had that experience. I was not the one jumping to the conclusion, but I've been on the other end, um, where he immediately just goes to the extreme of what's going on. And they're in that scene and Elliot's with his, I guess, casual girlfriend, um, his, his regular girlfriend of sorts. They're dancing, and all of a sudden, he actually encourages her to dance with Beverly, and then they have that unusual dance sequence where they're all kind of intertwined with one another, and is that kind of what you were angling at, Don, with, with saying that he, he's kind of got this psychosexual thing going on with his brother? I, yeah, I think he was... I, it makes me wonder if he was always moving towards that menage a trois kind of mm-hmm. thing. But that and the sequence where the twin prostitutes... Oh, yeah. Where he said, just so I can tell you apart... You call me Ellie, and you call me Bev. Bev. Yeah. So he, he, in his mind, he was both of them. Because mm-hmm. he couldn't separate the two of them. Right. Especially when it came to those kind of relationships. Yeah, he he couldn't, and in almost some ways... And in all honesty, I knew it wasn't, but there was always part of me going to... Okay, are they one in the same? Wait a minute. No, no, they're not. But... Was when Elliot was around, it made you wonder if even um, within himself, he had two different sides going on of himself, or that the fact that he was the the dominant one or the the controlling one of the two twins, maybe that's that's why he was that way. I was really trying to understand. I found Elliot to be a, really a kind of complex character. Andrew, what you what'd you think of Elliot and? Do you think uh, his his codependency with uh, Beverly's uh, different uh, than Beverly's to him? I'd be willing to bet that it was uh, Elliot's decision to have those fucking red robes in the, uh, <laughs> oh, God. the surgery room. It was that it was so like uh, religious seeming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it seemed yeah. like they say that the the surgeon will have a god complex or whatever. Well, there you go. So. <laughs> I just yeah I read so much of that is that that narcissism you know yeah Elliot's a lot more narcissistic than oh, that's a lot big word for Mark to say today folks um, <laughs> is more narcissistic than Beverly who wasn't and you know and since we got those images early on we know that's the way they've been their whole life um, and you're right Beverly really didn't I mean. When Claire wanted to leave, just for her normal trip, freaking Beverly is like, and I, I kind of loved that scene because I was watching what Cronenberg was doing, and I'm like, this is a bit unusual. We don't normally see this being this way in a movie to where the the female character is being strong in the leaving and the male character is acting like the cliche one out of a relationship that we've seen in other films. Uh, Andrew, w- w- would you say that <laughs> that scene there may have shown a little bit of unusual 
uh, you know, what we don't normally see are happen to our male characters when uh, their female love is leaving for like a long extended period of time. Yeah, I mean, but it's you know, it's just he's transferred his uh, you know his shit from his brother onto this one person. Yeah. So all the eggs are in the clear basket. And when the clear basket goes away, he f- flips his shit. Um, <laughs> but for but for me, the thing that was really unusual about this movie, um, in terms of uh, Cl- uh, Claire, that character, is that she couldn't have been played by a young actor. Mm-hmm. You know. And they've got this these twins there, the, the the prostitutes or whatever, and they're on the younger side, and then the 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 girlfriend or whatever of of Ellie's that's also on the younger side. But Claire is played by Jean-Vivre Bujold, uh, if I may say, she was forty five when they made this movie. Was she really? How, yes, and they make her hot as fuck. And <laughs> yes, they do. if you if you know what you're, this is one of the many reasons why Cronenberg, you can tell he just really knows what's up, because. That is who you want to be the sexual character. That is who you want to be like the desirable character. That you know, not not the younger ones. Mm-hmm. Because the older one knows what the fuck is up. And so watching this movie, I swear it must have had some effect on me as a kid to see, you know, like this woman who was older like be the object of desire or whatever, and like the big deal in the movie, not these younger ones or whatever. But going back to it as a grown up watching it. Man, I gotta tell you, <laughs> I was like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even know how to do with this now, you know. Mm-hmm. But man, is it great! I mean, she just, she is just the shit. I was like, all right, <laughs> I really was. But yeah, that's how old she was when they made it, and it, and perfect, I think, perfect age for that character. It it's what you wanted for that character because she was actually the more experienced between the other two. She is very aware of all of her vices and has the, as you mentioned, Don has tools to deal with them good or bad. She has tools to, to deal with them. And she, you know, she's still, I think she's uh, stronger than the two guys. Yeah, I, I'm not. Oh, I'm not yeah. saying that they wouldn't write a character like her now, because right. we've seen them in other movies. Just but casting it wouldn't her. make. Well, but they wouldn't make her a sexual character, right? And, and the fact that they make her a sexual character just knocks me right the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, you're. I, I. I think you're right. I think they would have focused the more, the the more. Um, they avoided outright sexual scenes. They had sensual scenes mm-hmm. with Carrie and Ellie, but anything overtly sexual was only with Claire. Right. Awesome. And, totally and awesome. today they definitely would have done the opposite. Wow. You are absolutely right, Don. They, they do actually not. It's implied you know what it is, but you never actually see the explicit scenes uh, with Carrie and Elliot, or even Carrie and Elliot and Beverly, uh, <laughs> which is uh, never happens because Beverly collapses because he's just so strung out on drugs. But you're right; they 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 by doing that as well, they they really keep the focus on Claire, which is where you want it because that's where the the twins focus on Claire, uh, both of them, in all honesty, because. Uh, though Elliot isn't quite so, he's like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> he's too busy building up his God complex in a way, I think. Um, 
because he, he's he's becoming the shit and emotionally here we have Beverly who seems to look more for and and I may be wrong on this and, and completely off so Don uh, I'll, I'll ask you is Beverly seems more really dependent on love love and a connection there that way whereas Elliot seems to want to feed his ego and that's what he needs for his emotional whatever fulfilling or whatnot am, am I wrong on that or is, is that kind of the dynamic between these two is Beverly's the more emotion looking for that more of the connection emotionally like love or whatever and Elliot doesn't give two shits about love but by God he's got to have the accomplishments I don't know that Ellie, or I'm sorry, that Beverly ever actually went looking for it. He just stumbled into it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Ellie ever really questioned it. I just think he always expected it to be there because that's how he was. That's how it always was. This right. is our relationship. What did he, what did he call it? The, um, oh, he had a name for it when he talked to Claire uh, when they were in her dressing uh, uh, dressing trailer and, and they were talking about how uh, he tried to propose it to her so that she would have a relationship with both of them so she could have a place in the mantle. Yeah. The mantle. Uh, he called it something specific and I'm drawing a blank on what it was. The mantle saga, the mantle. Yeah, legacy. Empire. Legacy. I don't know what they called it, but yeah. Yeah. I don't think he ever actually questioned whether or not Elliot would love love him in the way he'd always loved him. And it really, really broke something to realize that he no longer did. Yeah. He, uh, it, it is interesting how they fed each other, basically. Yes. Nick, the, codependence. The, the, the codependence is so strong, which, again, at 13, I didn't know what that was, but now it's throughout this, either Beverly's codependence with his brother or with Claire or the drugs. I mean, that is the overarching uh, theory in here, and if you have the codependence going on too long, Andrew, it'll end up killing you, right? <laughs> I mean, dude, you know, the movie's about attachments, right? you know? It's kind of, you know, metaphorically and, mm-hmm. well, quite literally in some scenes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you think about some of those scenes, Andrew? Did you think he had them in the right places uh, where you kind of had the more graphic body horror going on for Cronenberg? I mean, it's, ah, the question is, I guess, more specifically could be, did it seem obligatory? Oh, there you go. Yeah, did it seem gratuitous or obligatory or? or <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. I appreciated them. I mean, they were well placed, and I know there was more that they ended up not using in terms of special effects. Sure. Um, so that was about the right amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice and gross, and to have her chomp down on it reminded me of the brood mm-hmm. uh, with the baby. And so, uh, if you, yeah, again, if you're watching them in order seeing that little kind of stuff makes you warm your heart a little bit. <laughs> I don't think it needed it. No, no. Um, but it was, it was fine. I mean, me as a kid looking for mm-hmm. horror, that was definitely the stuff I was waiting to see. Sure. But now going back, uh, not, not, not so much. Mm-hmm. What about you, Don? Do you think it has its place or 
was it you know did it actually not be needed for the type of film it was or you know we just have Cronenberg being Cronenberg <laughs> I, I I could go either way on it mm-hmm. um I I liked I liked the placement that it was in the dream sequence I, I agree with Andrew that that her chomping down on it was was something <laughs> um wow I, I think that it definitely put more in more firmly in mind of uh, in the mind of the audience the whole idea of the Siamese twins mm-hmm. um, and a little bit more of a parasitic relationship too because I, I, at least me. Mm-hmm. I'm one being a parasite from off of the other. Right. Um, and then, it, oh my God, thinking on it now makes me wonder, but Claire was the one doing the chomping, so who's the true parasite? Ooh. Um, and, it, it, I don't know, it could go either way. It didn't Did it absolutely need to be there? Mm-hmm. No. Did it add a nice element of horror and, and creepiness? and definite Cronenberg, yes. I, you bring up a good point, though. Who was the parasite? <laughs> uh, now that you mentioned that, because I'm like, was... Because the Claire character, it, it, I, lo- I love her character quite a bit, but was there part of her that actually... I don't know... Uh, the fact that they were twins. I mean, I know she was she was pissed off because it, it turned out they both had swapped places at some point. They, what? <laughs> oh, that just the whole thing. She knew from the beginning everything about her. The first time she okay she so she's she saw Beverly was the first one to examine her in the office. Then Elliot came in, and she slept with Elliot. And then the next day, she saw Beverly Beverly again. And her physical reaction to Beverly, immediately, she could tell something was different. Mm-hmm. And throughout the whole thing, she was, right up until she started talking about thinking he was schizophrenic or whatever, she knew something was up mm-hmm. i mean it was 88 yeah there was no internet but still she went to this gynecologist's office she should have if you're gonna go see a gynecologist you should pretty much know something about the office you're going to see right maybe know that they're twin brother doctors yeah it, it was interesting when she said no she didn't I, the way she handled that whole thing, it makes me wonder, did she suspect all along? Because when uh, the society lady confronts her and goes, oh, the Mantle brothers, and she's like, they're twins? But you're right, the, the way she plays that, you're almost like, oh, that just... She can- didn't want to know. She didn't want to... She wanted to think that it was the same guy, even though the back of her head, she's like, you know what, I bet you these are twins. Uh, the twins, and then it gets confirmed by the the old society lady, and I think it was more of she was upset of damn it, rather than oh those evil boys, as in ah oh, I knew it, 
you know, and she was angry almost, I think, more at herself, maybe. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, rather than at them. I'm not sure. It was just, you're right, though. From when she, after they have their first intimacy and, and she reacts to Beverly, it's like, oh, she knows already. At least that's what I thought. Andrew, what do you think with Claire? Did Do you think she suspects it and, and kind of knew all along? And when it was revealed, she was more angry because it just verified what she already suspected? And did she not want to know? Uh, Claire uses language at one point that leads me to believe that she has some patterns in her life mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that, uh, you know, uh, she says something to the effect that this is, I've, I've had a lot of experiences, but this is the worst shit that has happened to me. I'm like, ah, I know this sounds bad, but I kind of doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, and, and she was very frank about, uh, uh, being very promiscuous, mm-hmm. trying to get pregnant. Yep, she said that. Yeah, she she came right out and said, yeah, no, she doesn't use contraceptive. It was never even in her vocabulary. Uh, yep. She always wanted to, you know. And uh, so... Yeah, I just don't, I don't think the person was so important to her like she acted. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it was more the she was developing a relationship with Bev and she was hurt that he wasn't being honest with her. Yeah, right. It wasn't so much the of the actual fact as the fact he had he had lied. That and was continuing to and continuing to. Yeah, exactly. He He continued to lie. And that probably was the more upsetting for her if they would have. In all honesty, the way Claire seems as far as the way she is, if they would have just come clean right away, it makes you wonder if she would have rolled with it easier. <laughs> I know? mean, to me, she seemed more just hurt that, you know, she was been devalued because she's not worth telling the truth to. You know? Right. I think that's where her hurt seemed to have come from. And And the fact that, Ellie and Bev never saw a problem with it, just reinforces their sociopathic tendencies. Yeah, just like them two kids at the beginning. Not a whole lot has oh, changed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't really change, except, uh, you know, they get a little bit more crazier, especially Beverly, who, after he goes on, you know, just can't kick the drugs. Oh, I tell you, you know, out of everything in this entire film... And maybe it's because of my experiences now because I've I've gone to uh yeah I just more experienced it. My wife's had two kids. I've been there for the birth of both of them and, and stuff medical wise. Out of all the scenes and things that happen in this film, whether or not it's her chewing on the connection between them in a dream sequence or whatnot, the scene that kind of disturbed me the most was the one where Beverly is losing it and he uses the mantle on the older woman and they they don't show anything at all it's just her reactions but but that scene really disturbed me <laughs> more so than than the some of the other seeds it was it was it was that part was actually a little more frightening was her at this examination, kind you know, in a vulnerable position, and you have Beverly just whacking out and suddenly saying she's a mutant. Uh, Don, what about this scene? I mean, 
this is actually a very disturbing scene, yet nothing really graphic happens in this film in this scene. That's because there's so much being said in that scene. Um, there's so much being conveyed in that scene that it that is poignant to the time, mm -hmm. the way society viewed women at that time, mm -hmm. the way society viewed doctors at that time, the way Cronenberg viewed doctors <laughs> at that time. We've already established Cronenberg hates <sighs> doctors, so yeah, <laughs> and and the 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 I guess indicator where Beverly's psyche actually broke. Mm -hmm. um, so you have women, you have our, your older lady there to be examined, spread open to her doctor, because of course there were no women doctors, there was right. no nurse in the office, there was, I mean, this, she was just vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And then... He's using uh, an inappropriate device that is perfect because it's made of solid gold, mm -hmm. even though it's the wrong device. And then he accuses her of having sex with a dog. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm not... I, I really... The idea that all women who can't have children or cannot pleasure a man or please a man is a mutant starts at that scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just really disturbing for a gynecologist to be <laughs> anybody, but especially anybody. That's a twisted way to th see things, but especially a gynecologist that's just yeah i mean that scene for me was almost you know scared more scary than any of the other scenes actually it's the next scene that was more scary for me which one when he when he went and had the new tools made oh yeah the tools that he had made the the yeah yeah those that was disturbing as well and that was interesting how that played out with the the metal urgist who's looking at him like, uh, what? <laughs> you yeah. want to do what? Oh man, Andrew, what about you? Uh, this scene where he's uh, inappropriately using their invented tool. Did you did you uh, would you say this is kind of more creepy, even though it doesn't show anything, and more scary than some of the other scenes? I mean, yeah. Before, before, uh, I, if, in case we don't mention that the guy who makes the the crazy ass, I want to call them weapons. Yeah, weapons. Um, that's Stephen Lack from Scanners. Oh, that is. Uh, yep. Okay. That's Stephen Lack from Scanners. Uh, no, um, it's it's. I, Hitchcock gets all his credit for the shower scene, yeah. you know, and and what that did to people. But quite honestly, 
you are 90 majillion times more vulnerable in this position that this lady is in this thing. And I believe he is much more fucking twisted than Norman Bates. Yeah. What is happening there? You don't need to show shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it says it all in the situation. It says it all in the look on her face. I mean, just the normal procedure mm-hmm. would be really, really uncomfortable done properly. It can it be is. traumatic, <laughs> you know? I mean, the looks on her face were genuine like that. Yeah. They, you know, so it just, it furthers my point that I feel like Cronenberg, uh, especially compared to Hitchcock, uh, definitely understands women a lot, a lot more because uh, the friends of mine, when I mentioned that I was revisiting this movie, they were like, ow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are like, that movie is, you know, but it's, yeah, yeah you don't, you don't need to show anything that that was that was plenty but uh yeah i agree though when uh as as soon as i think there's a part where they're in surgery and you're just you're just going like god let let him not get this far let let someone go like what are you gonna use these for like how would he even it is so fucked you know that is horror that there is horror that's the horror part this whole third act when he from when he finally snaps who gets the tools made that's where the horror starts coming into this film up until then it's been more dramatic codependency and then you get into this and then it's like yeah he's in surgery and he pulls out the special tools because she's a mutant and you know what i'm sorry but his assistants (laughs) they needed to step up a hell of a lot sooner what i want to know is why his little secretary lady didn't contact or stop anybody when he, she saw him walked in on him shooting up in his office just before the uh, surgery surgery uh, yeah it was the 80s uh, that that i think from what i read is one of the things that was taken from the actual true story uh, and that wouldn't surprise me that part and the part of him taking the uh, mask off of the patient and using it on himself that also was something that actually happened oh really and- Wow. Yeah, I think it's just these powerful dudes that the people under them just don't, they're getting paid, man. They don't want to question shit, you know. And it's also very much the 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 way society did things at the time. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Because I, I think the original uh, twin gynecologist was, what, in the mid-70s? Right, yep. And then, Perfect. so this was, what, not quite 15 years later? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Toots. And 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 then we we get to the end to where they're back together, Elliot. In you know these guys are smart, but some of the decisions they make, holy shit! Elliot decides to get synced with Beverly, so rather than really work hard at trying to get Beverly to rehab, he decides to take the same drugs that Beverly's taking. Well, first he tries to help detox. That's Beth. true. Yeah. And it, he, it was, too hard. It, yeah, it, it was too hard because he was trying to do it by himself and he was trying to save their reputation because that was his job was to build their reputation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he ends up taking those pills and at the end you get that wonderful tracking mat sequence, which I guess you, you mentioned, Andrew, I think it's right. This is the first time they use computer generated uh tracking mat sequence you get that wonderful sequence right near the end where they've they've both gone on a bender and they're both just 
on their drugs and the, they're in perfect sync with each other uh, where they're walking and moving the same and, and you hear the voiceover one telling the instructions of the other of what they have to do. Um, I, I just, I loved that shot and I thought it, it was an interesting way to basically build up to the inevitable end you saw coming between these two. Uh, what did you think of that that shot where they were both walking together and dressed almost exactly the same? Um, you asking me? Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Like I said, you know, this is seamless stuff. Mm-hmm. And for its time, I mean, I have seen way worse similar shots since then. Mm-hmm. You know, because what people would try to do oftentimes would be to green screen or blue screen uh, the actor and then put him in there. And the depth just was wrong. Mm-hmm. So you basically get irons and another guy. The camera shoots it and records at all that movement. Reset. Then they switch. And it records it again. And they just lay them right on top. And it's seamless. It's awesome. Yeah. It, and it leads up to the end to where it's fitting they use the tools to end up separating or joining each other, basically one killing the other uh, with that. And, uh, yeah, left in the question for a little while. I had that, too, the wrong guy who was killed in the very end. And he ends up calling Claire before going back up. And, Don, what would you think about how this ended to where he leaves and calls Claire but then goes back up and, and to die? It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, when he left Claire and she asked what the tools were for, that that was everything that happened was premeditated. Right. Um, so it, it makes sense because it's, it's, it's probably a combination of he realized when he tried calling her that she she knows he murdered his brother that's just going to be the way it is Mm -hmm. and then he also realizes that he can't live without him right as much as he cares for claire he just can't and i'm not or did he ever actually care for claire (laughs) that that was a thing i was going to bring up i Mm -hmm. mean he did, but only because she was he was the first woman he ever really cared about at all mm-hmm. in their relationship. I'm not I'm not certain. I think that the fact that it was Claire and that woman was incidental. I'm glad they put a fantastic character in there. Um, but in the end, I think it, I, I don't think that he truly loved her mm-hmm. as much as it was like a first love kind of situation sure. or a first crush mm-hmm. kind of situation. And then when he realized what it cost him, it wasn't worth it. Right. Yeah, that, or that, he couldn't live with it. It, it wasn't actually the true feeling it was what he he was he liked the idea more i think than the actual 
as happens so frequently. Feelings. <laughs> Andrew, would you concur with that, that, that maybe Beverly never actually really did care for, like, you know, actual... Well, love, care for, yes. Love, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the only, the only, the only love that you know there was was the brothers loving each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no one else was truly a human being, I don't think. Uh, you know, and of course now he's not one either. He's a fucking he's assaulted multiple women, and he's also a murderer. So yeah, he he's turned into a monster. So mm-hmm. uh, yep. uh, he he's come down to our common level because. These boys have always been above everybody else, have acted above like they were above everyone else. Hence their uh, behaviors in the beginning of being able to switch between one another at just the drop of a hat and not caring <laughs> what what the ramifications of that were. Uh, yeah, and in the end, eh, led to their own self-destruction. So there you go, folks. Codependency will uh, will will destroy you. Um, <laughs> at some point, maybe that's what David Gronenberg's going for. Uh, Don, your final thought with, with dead ringers, you, you think that's maybe what he's going for here? Or? Oh, if there is a message, maybe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, what do you have a question? So I was, I, you know, as I'm watching this, I, I'm looking at the, the body doubles they had standing in. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I was thinking to myself at one at one scene, and I forget. Uh, I one specific scene made me wonder if uh, Jeremy Irons was chosen. Who was the body double for the when they showed uh, one of the Mantle brothers from behind and the other one in front? Because in some of those scenes, I'm like, is that David Cronenberg? being the body double oh, that, I was just curious about that the, I, I didn't really look real hard at it but it was a thought uh, yeah, in my head I'm not sure but I could I could see it um, oh no it wasn't uh, John Bayless was the performance <laughs> double cool that is but uh, David Cronenberg did show up as an obstetrician in the film at one point um, so he... that surprises me after the fly. <laughs> yeah. So, so there is that, but, uh, yeah. It, so do you think there is a message here that David Cronenberg's going for, but, it, or is he just presenting the story and, and what you get out of it is, is up to you. Does, does David Cronenberg give, put morals in his stories? I think so. <laughs> they seem to. Well, whether or not they're there or we draw, that's the conclusion we draw from just from the events presented. I, I'm, I'm playing. You're, he always has complex messages. In his, he's, he's, he always has complex messages. I'm just not entirely certain it's immoral. Mm-hmm. You see, this is what happens. I always get people who are so much cooler than me in the room. That's and then not they, true. They're able to play with my brain and... It's I don't awesome. know, Don. You are pretty cool. I'm gonna have to back Mark up on this. One. <laughs> it's, it's it's it br- plays with your brain because then you're just like, oh man, what am I? Ah. No, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I'm not sure if there's moral, but it is a message. It, uh, there's there's a lot of complex messages. As as yeah. I mean, it's not religious. I don't think this mm-hmm. time, um, but yeah, there's 
There's there's definitely a message. What about you, Andrew? Message here? Is it a moral message or just kind of a Cronenberg's uh, other messages he's trying to present, like how screwed up humans are? Uh, no, I, I think he's definitely um, addressing, uh, you know, that like codependency uh, and attachments and stuff like that, and they don't have to be necessarily physical, like with siblings or you know between lovers or whatever. They can it can be pretty much anything. It could be substance, mm-hmm. things like that, uh, self-destructive behaviors or characteristics. You know, as a great thing about his movies is you know what he's putting out there it's up to you to kind of put together in your own way. And, uh, it's why he often doesn't do a commentary track on his movies. Um, there was not one for dead ringers, for example, you know, to, to tell you what he was thinking would kind of take away from it. I feel because it's coming from him. So once that happens, you solidify a specific concept or idea that will be accepted by most. Well, not only that, but you, you, the idea that you would then be wrong Right. about your your personal assessment of it I think mm-hmm. is kind of offensive and takes the fun out of it. Yeah, and it's it's always interesting with David Cronenberg what you're going to get, but um I think there is a message here as well or a complex message. Um I also think this film is Cronenberg getting back a little bit more to what we were used to seeing in his earlier work uh more than his commercial stuff and I I really dug it. A lot more the second time around being oh I don't know you know 30 years older uh, <laughs> maybe that helped <laughs> understand it a little bit more um, but for me yeah there's there's a lot of stuff going on but his portrayal of codependency though holy crap it's like wow it, it- yeah, it's it's like taking the um the the um from the fly that was a lot about relationships. Yep. And, except it it moves it into that whole new destructive, dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. he touched on it a bit in the fly, we just explored full bore <laughs> in yeah. in Dead Ringers. Oh, uh, quite a bit. Every vile thing people can do to each other. Yeah, pr- pretty much happens in this film. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, and I, the thing is, when this movie ends, I, it it makes me wonder, though, you know, after, I always like to think beyond the final scene or whatever, and I'm like, I'm just sitting there going, I'm wondering if Claire really gets, like, severely upset or if she just goes, yep. Saw that coming. Uh, <laughs> oh, she saw it coming. Yeah. You know, uh, does she get that upset because she saw it coming? You know, um, I'm not sure. Uh, Andrew, what would you say? Uh, after the last seed or whatever, they find them dead. Do you think Claire is, is very upset or do you think she kind of is uh, like, yep, that's those guys. I don't think her uh, view of men is going to change sure. for the better. Uh, she seems to kind of not really want to involve one in her uh, in her life in any sort of like meaningful capacity, you know, past just sort of becoming pregnant and you know continuing with her plan. 
So, uh, you know, maybe a disappointment that another one didn't work out or whatever, but I don't even think that would be a maybe. <laughs> like yeah. A real soft, soft yeah. Maybe disappointed that uh, her her little drug hookup is no longer there. Yeah, that's true. This... There was early on, right? Doesn't Ellie mm-hmm. say they're being played just for their drugs? Yep. Yeah, Ellie Ellie sees it because he's he's the more <laughs> he's the one who would do such a thing. So he he's he spots it right away and he's like he's the more a little bit more worldly than Beverly and he's like, Yeah, she's just playing us for our drugs, man. It's probably not the first time it happened to him. No. I I'm guessing it wasn't, you know, makes you also wonder about uh Carrie being around them, though she seems very more grounded on how they are and seems to be I don't know if she really cares about them or if she's she's there because she's because she's she's I, definitely a different character than Claire. Yeah, no what I think with her it was a bit more mutual what was going on. Sure. Yeah. I, I think she was more Ellie's fuck buddy than anything serious at all. And she knew it. So, oh yeah, yeah, and she she accepted it because he probably, you know, she got to be have kind of the status of being with him and and uh, be in their luxurious uh, room and all of that. So, um, I think to well. some extent she was also a, a peer, a business peer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although that I didn't quite catch exactly how, but I know that. It's, Somehow she was. It was implied that she was like a fellow doctor of sorts, almost like you know, quite not quite their level, but yeah, you're right. She there did seem to be some kind of uh, occupational. Maybe worked at the hospital. Possibly. Yeah, I'm not sure. They don't really establish it. Andrew, did you feel that way too? They kind of hinted at her relationship, like she was. Was she she like a, you know, worked at the same hospital or? Uh, yeah, I assume some kind of mm-hmm. colleague, coworker, or yeah. something. So, so we'll wrap it up here. Uh, unless there was something else you guys wanted to, to touch on, Andrew. Was there something that you wanted to talk about we haven't yet or? Mm-mm, nah, man. I just yeah, I wanted to make sure that I pointed out that uh, Claire, uh, uh, the actress, the age that she was at. I think it's really important about this movie. And that's that's Cronenberg, and and he was able to do that very well. And yeah, you're right. Hollywood still probably wouldn't take that chance today. No, nah, man, check it out, man. Do you look at Top Gun, mm-hmm. right? You think mm-hmm. Kelly McGillis? They're gonna bring her back in that movie? Mm. <laughs> you have no idea how I would race to see the new Top Gun if Kelly McGillis was the love interest. Yeah, that'd be that would be interesting to see. Because I'm like at a I don't care. I've never even seen Top Gun. Right. The old one. But I've seen The Innkeepers with Kelly <laughs> yep. McGillis. And I'm like, it's all right with me, man. You know what I'm saying? As have like, I, yeah. Yeah. So, like, wow. you are know? you kidding me? <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> what? Oh God. What? Nothing. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just looking up Top Gun now. Oh. <laughs> Although I can't complain about them having Jennifer Connelly. No, she's at least like kind of, you know. But what was she like ten when Top Gun was out or whatever? <laughs> she's my age. No, no, it's better than they. It, no, it's better than they've done. It's not like Sean yeah. Connery and uh, 
what what's a, a Catherine Zeta Jones? Catherine Zeta Jones. Oh, that pairing. God. Yeah. It's not bad like that. It's not, but it's still. Wouldn't it be great if they put McGillis back in there? Though? That would be. It, it would. It yeah. really would. I would have come out for that. I yeah. would have gone out. Well, I think we will uh, say goodbye to Cronenberg once again. Uh, I want to thank my guests here. And as we do with every one of these episodes, we'll just wrap it up with a fun little quip or whatnot. So as we leave, David, as we leave Cronenberg once again, what is one thing you take away with you uh, as we leave Cronenberg from Dead Ringers? Uh, Don? Always make sure there's a nurse in the room with you for your examinations. There you go. There's some seriously sound advice, uh, especially after this movie. Andrew, mm-hmm. what ab- Andrew, what about you? What's one thing you take away w- from Dead Ringers as we leave Cronenberg? Um, I think Basket Case got it right. <laughs> Did Dead Ringers come close? <laughs> basket Case got it right. Basket Case. <laughs> You know, they live in basket case. They do. They do live in basket case, and they go on to a a couple of sequels, one of which uh, was kind of like a night breed. Yeah, uh, man, you know, (laughs) yeah, that's just true. Well, no, just about how, you know, instead of, like, cutting them off, right, he sews his ass back on. He sews it back on, absolutely. Come on, Bilal, we got shit to do. (laughs) We eat two candy bars just for us. (laughs) Uh, but so the the question is: Do you pay uh, a single price admission or double price admission for going to the movies if you sewed them back on? You're saving a ticket price there too. I think. Nah, man, you. I'm gonna do like I do with my snacks. I'm hide that shit. <laughs> put my coat over it. I'm gonna hide my conjoined twin. Never mind. Like Belial, man. Cool with the comments, man. They're gonna know you're in here, man. Come on. Shh, Belial, you know this. You know the routine. God, who ate all the Twizzler? <laughs> Damn it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. As we leave Cronenberg, I will say if I'm ever a physician's assistant, I, and there's some new tools on the table that I'm not familiar with. I may want to call in the question them ever even being applied to, to a physical body or being used. <laughs> Or even brought into the surgery room, or label them one to call nine one one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, thank you very much, folks. And now this is the part where I give my wonderful crew, who are far more knowledgeable about things, the chance to shill whatever they like. So, Don, please, what would you like to shill tonight? Well, you know I'm going to continue to show the new Horror Fest right up until October, it's time yes. to, to be there, you betcha. So, new Northeast Wisconsin Horror Film Fest in beautiful downtown Oshkosh at the Time Community Theater. October, what, 13th, 14th, 15th now? Because they're doing the double feature on Friday night? Yes. They're ending early-ish on saturday and then early-ish on sunday three days of indie horror check it out yes they'll be doing uh they'll be doing that uh where they've got the double feature friday that's a little bit different this year but it should be interesting and still very cool for supporting i I just want to see i i want to see some of those on the big screen because they were so fun 
Yes, they were a lot of fun. Uh, can't wait to see them on the big screen at the time as well. So, uh, excellent plug, Don. Uh, you might see some familiar faces there, too, if you do go to it. And, Andrew, I know, sir, you've got a license to shill. you got some things out there people definitely need to see. What do you got, sir? Uh, right now, I'm on DVD at gonzerific.com and get the movie Hot Mike. That was fun of, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, sexy shenanigans with my friends and I here in Athens, Georgia. Um, for On Demand, you can get uh, Dr. Humpenstein's Erotic Cattle over there at Amazon uh, Video. And on Vimeo, you can get uh, Space Boobs in Space coming soon to Prime Video. We've got Booty Meat and Bikini Gorilla. Uh, currently now, uh, we're mere days away from shooting the third and final Bad Girl Dracula film which will premiere on Friday, November the 15th at Athens Cine. There you go. Fantastic, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening to our Cronenberg episode. And now we'll just say good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Awesome. Can you pull them? One, two, get the fuck out of here. <laughs>